1: welcome to another episode of working overtime i'm your host karen Hahn,
2: and i'm your other host june thomas
1: hi june how are you i was just at the dentist this morning so obviously i'm full
2: of joy i I, (laughs) i'm my happiest right now so uh, yeah i'm good i'm very good yourself everything went well everything went fabulously Um, that's great Yes, um, How are I'm you doing, doing pretty good.
1: Definitely now thinking more about the dentist, uh, now that you've brought it up, because I haven't been for a while, oh. m- mostly due to the pandemic. And I'm like, I do need to go, <laughs> but I don't know when that's going to happen. And also need to find a new dentist because yeah. I'm in a whole new state now.
2: There's a piece of advice that I know Patty Smith loves to give. And every time she gives it, several people like inform me. <laughs> I think Patty Smith has said many times like, if you're a creative person, the best thing you can do is take care of your teeth. The last thing a freelance creative person needs is an unexpected dental bill. Ugh, um, it's true. It doesn't, now, taking care of your teeth doesn't mean that you won't have bills. I do take care of my teeth. I still have a <laughs> lot of bills, but it doesn't hurt.
1: So this is an episode about teeth.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> would be great.
1: So, the creative advice that I wanted to talk about today actually comes from one of my great idols, uh, Bong Joon Ho, from his Best Director acceptance speech at the 2020
2: Oscars. Let's have a little listen.
1: Thank you so much. When I was young and studying cinema, there was a saying that I carved deep into my heart, which is the most personal is the most creative.
0: That quote was from uh, our great Martin Scorsese.
1: (laughs) As two people, you and I, June, who've worked mostly (laughs) in nonfiction and journalistic spaces, I feel like our relationship with separating or merging personal ideas or feelings in our work is both more and less complicated. How do you consider your personal feelings with regards to the topics you do or don't cover? Well, so... I can definitely do work for hire. Mm -hmm.
2: That's our job, right? I don't want to act like, no, I need to be completely, (laughs) you know, captivated by the muse. No, you know, if your job is to write, you can write. But the things I'm proudest of and the things I'm most excited about tend to be things that I have some connection with. And that can Mm -hmm. be a personal connection, you know, like something like, lesbian culture or access to dental care it is the dental <laughs> episode or it can be something I find fascinating like I don't know walruses or pens or things that I really want people to wake up about so
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I do feel more enthusiasm more motivation when I'm working on something like that so yeah that, that makes sense to me what about mm-hmm. you
1: well, I really I want to backtrack really briefly because all ah. of the things that you mentioned as interests pretty much scanned to me except for walruses, which felt like it came kind of out of left field. Is that an <laughs> actual interest of yours or just an example?
2: Well, actually, that's that's maybe an example of what how you can become very interested in something. <gasps> so I wrote a piece once for Bloomberg that I pitched to them as something quite small. It was going to be about... Um, walrus ivory materials or oh, wow. uh, souvenirs that were available in the museum in Anchorage. And my editor there was just really ambitious. I'm like, no, you should t- you should write about going to see uh, walruses. Wow. And so I, I took this amazing trip where I did indeed go on a walrus safari and then... Holy cow. Something that was actually even more exciting and special that was only a small piece of the... Uh, of the piece was that I also went out to a village because walrus ivory is still controlled, not as strictly as elephant ivory because the animals are in pretty different circumstances, but you can only purchase walrus ivory things that have been carved by an Alaska native. And so I went to Mm -hmm. a village where a guy was a craftsman who was, you know, actually made something for me on the spot. That was amazing. Uh, So it was a great trip. And so even though when I went into it, not really caring that much about walruses, I came out of it slightly obsessed. And I could still <laughs> I could still really bore, bore, bore at a dinner party about walruses if I was given the opportunity.
1: That's amazing. I can't wait to have a dinner party specifically so that <laughs> I can hear what you have to say about walruses because now I'm very interested. Um, I feel like that's kind of the best case scenario though because I, I agree generally about how the field of journalism works where it's like you are pretty much guaranteed to not have the same level of investment in every topic that you're supposed to cover. Not necessarily because you're like, I don't care about what I'm writing, but because you'll get assigned stuff and kind of it's, it's your job to do it. Mm -hmm, It's not mm -hmm. just a hobby or something that you can push through at your leisure. Most of the time that said, I think there's also sort of a flip side to it where I'm curious if you've ever said no to a project because you felt too close to it or it was like too personal to talk about. Do you think there's such a thing as being too close to a topic?
2: I do. I'm not actually sure that I've declined projects because they felt too near and dear. Mm -hmm. But I am conscious of not having tried to become attached to certain projects for that reason. And even if it's something you don't spell out for yourself, on some level, you know that you have to be willing to expose things. If you go into a story, you can't hold back. And if you have a sense that you're going to be tempted to pull punches if, if you know, if you get to that stage, you don't want to put yourself in that position. Yeah. So I think a lot of us just kind of on some intuitive level know that we shouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. There are just as you shouldn't write about something that you're personally invested in, like literal investment. The ethics of writing, <laughs> the ethics of writing about your friends, are pretty clear. You should not do that. But writing about subjects you have feelings about is a more gray area, and I, I think you have to go with your gut in those situations.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Generally speaking, I feel like I'm just sometimes wary of it of the idea of being too close to something just because having a point of view is important. Like there's no way when you write about a topic that you're going to be completely removed from it. But at the same time, if you as the journalist aren't specifically the subject, you don't want to put too much of yourself in that story at the risk of kind of diluting what you're ultimately writing about or making yourself too available to the public, as it were, because your life is private. Like my life is my life. That's not what I'm trying to put out there. Do you feel at all the same way?
2: Yeah, I'm very conscious, especially the the last part, you know. Mm-hmm. I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one of the many reasons I love being one of the hosts of Working. But I don't necessarily like being talked about. So mm-hmm. I am very conscious of putting some things off limits. So I'm not even tempted to overshare on those subjects.
1: Yeah. Does your idea of personal boundaries um, change at all if the project you're working on is fiction as opposed to nonfiction, as we've just been talking about? You know, I'm
2: not sure. I haven't mm-hmm. written much fiction or worked on feature projects, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure that I would not be capable of being inventive enough to maintain that separation, mm-hmm. even if I was, you know, working in a fictional realm. Like I'm the kind of person whose subconscious is always revealing itself. Like I'll <laughs> I'll get into an elevator with a guy who needs a shave and I'll start, you know, humming attend the tale of Sweeney Todd and <laughs> That's so I, I don't threatening mean to and I don't want to, but like I know that about myself. So I, I'm just pretty sure I'd end up oversharing yeah, whatever that's my fair. intentions were. it's
1: definitely dangerous I feel like it can sort of backfire I think sort of as you're talking about in a way that you don't intend for it to I'm thinking here specifically about like all the gossip that kind of flared up around the movie Marriage Story and people wondering about how much of it was directly based on the director Noah Baumbach's relationship with his previous wife Jennifer Jason Lee and even stuff about like Bad Art Friend for instance where it's like where do you draw the line like how much do you want your personal life to be what people talk about when they see your movie or read your book or something like that
2: exactly I I would not want people to be trying to figure out where I was yeah. in my story and what was true but I also yeah uh, all of the examples you quoted I'll add um, you know cat person mm-hmm. uh, I, and I'm really torn on that because I am the only person in the world who was willing to you know go out there and argue that Beyonce's Lemonade wasn't necessarily autobiographical mm-hmm. But who also, yeah, I read a book or a story and if a character drinks a lot, I start wondering, hmm, is the author having an alcohol problem? <laughs> you know, like, it, yeah, it, it, To be clear. I don't think that's really fair or something I should do, but it is what I do. And so in a way... It's a little glib to say, but I don't think there's such a thing as coincidence. I wonder Mm -hmm. if there really even is such a thing as fiction. Is it really just the author's subconscious trying to figure things out or to, you know, hum the Sweeney Todd theme? (laughs) Uh, So I don't know. But to answer your question directly, I don't think I'd have the guts to even try and fictionalise myself. And I'm also not sure that I'm inventive enough to create (laughs) a whole new existence.
1: It's tough to do. Like, we just had the episode with Isaac's interview with Fanula Murphy, who made a whole new language. And I was yes. like, "How? I, that seems impossible to me. How right to do that? Right, But I think that about fiction generally. I remember mm-hmm.
2: talking to Roman Alam, you know, a previous host who, you know, one of his amazing novels had just come out. And I knew in my questions, I was saying, but is it you? Where are you? And he's just like, it's not. It's not me. And in some ways, it's not something I'm even capable of conceiving of, that fiction is yeah. just pure invention.
1: I thought about that a lot in that one Succession episode, too, where Steven Root's character is talking to the Willa, who just wrote a play, and he's like, so you just make up stuff? And it's like, that's yeah, that's what it, it is. is. All right, we'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Working Overtime right after this.
0: This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process, or whatever the heck it is, all the other podcasts you listen to do. You call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options.
1: Hi, working listeners. In this episode, we're talking about one of my favorite quotes from the director Bong Joon-ho. So we're wondering, do you have a favorite quote from one of your favorite creators? Share it with us by sending an email to Slate.com, or better yet, give us a call and leave us a message at 304-933-WORK. That's 304-933-9675. We would love to hear from you. All right, now back to the show. To circle back to Bong Joon-ho, or I guess Martin Scorsese's creative (laughs) advice, I completely understand the quote in that, as we sort of discussed, I think, at the top of the episode, you're going to be the most fired up about projects that are about the things that you actually care about. I said about so many times, but you get what I mean. Um, (laughs) And if something isn't significant to you, why bother tackling it at all, right?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. But I'm also aware that so far in this episode, we've been talking about this from the creator's point of view and Mm -hmm. what we're comfortable revealing. And I think it's worth just taking a moment and thinking about how it is for people experiencing the art that comes out of these uh, projects. So, for example... I think a lot about the work of Pedro Almodovar. He's a filmmaker whose work has probably been the most important in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his career has, has kind of coincided with significant moments in my life. It, That's so he's cool. Just, you know, he's been my filmmaker for decades. Aww. Um And, you know, he's made about 22 feature films. And I would say that about 18 of them have been pretty much the same movie. <laughs> about the same thing and not only that but he'll even like replay scenes from one movie in another and try them out with different outcomes different actors different you know he like that's his thing and that's fine I think these are things from his life mm-hmm. parts of his life questions that he's trying to figure out and I find that fascinating These are, you know, the movies I keep returning to. These are the movies that have kind of given me the most or have made me feel things most intensely. Mm -hmm. And they work, I think, because it's so personal to him. And I mentioned earlier that that was true for about 18 of his 22 movies. Well, the other four they're kind of terrible. Or that's unfair. (laughs) They're not terrible. They're not terrible, um, but they're just not as interesting. You know, like his most recent movie, Parallel Mothers, Mm -hmm. some good performances, one great one, but it's kind of empty and in parts, it's just kind of dumb. And (laughs) I think that's because it's an issue movie. It's not a feelings movie. Mm. And I think he cared very much about the issue, but I think yeah, and obviously I'm projecting onto a great filmmaker's oeuvre. So, you know, this is just my insight and who am I. But I don't... So, so I guess what I'm saying is, I while I don't want to be oversharing or for people to be wondering, ooh, what's she accidentally <laughs> revealing there? I'm very happy. I'm overjoyed, in fact, when great artists are willing to do that. Yeah, People like Almodovar and Bong Joon-ho. So what is your favourite Almodovar? Oh, my goodness. Or you know, do you have
1: like a top three or something?
2: The reason I'm hesitating is that some years ago, actually, I think probably about 10 years ago now, I wrote a sort of a, a completist, obviously no longer complete, mm-hmm. where I list, you know, I wrote about all these movies, I put them in order. And I hate to contradict myself and just like name another movie <laughs> if it's not the one I officially picked. But I love those like, like, Talk to Her even, you know, mm-hmm. those movies that are just very clearly about... Almodovar going through life stages and just kind of figuring things out about his family or his past or about Spain Um, but in a personal way not when it's just like we really need to deal with this law that's just been passed like yeah no (laughs) don't make or don't make a movie about the economy that's not you know I don't want to be that person who's like stay in your lane bro but stay (laughs) in your lane bro (laughs)
1: Totally understandable. And I have one last question, which is, do you think I'm at all misinterpreting (laughs) the quote that we're talking about? Is there a different meaning behind it that I'm just not seeing? I don't know. I don't know. It's a Cohen. I suspect
2: that this will be a question that you'll think about a lot over the years to come. And and now you've got me thinking about it too. So this will be something for us to... uh, ponder for many years and it almost doesn't matter if we're misinterpreting we're we're interpreting
1: right that's true it will reveal itself to us in the shape that we need it to be over time
2: that's right (laughs) when the student is ready the teacher will appear
1: (laughs) good one All right, that's all the time that we have for this episode. If you like the show, or even if you don't, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions about the creative process that you'd like to ask us, or if you have a piece of creative advice, whether it's your own or from a mentor that you think that we should discuss on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at, working at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK and if you'd like to
2: support what we do sign up for slate plus at slate.com slash working plus you'll get bonus content including exclusive episodes of how to do it and big mood little mood and you'll be supporting what we do right here on working it's only a dollar for the first month
1: Big thanks to our producers this episode, Cameron Drews and Kevin Bendis. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working. And in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work.